0: the most surprising reason that the New Orleans Pelicans are one of the most exciting teams in the league and how they still might not make the playoffs. We also talk about James Harden's exciting return back to Houston, and we also work on answering a bunch, well, not really a bunch, just a couple of new listener DMs. (laughs) Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert about to get fined. Yes, they are. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) And at a certain point... If you know that even making mention of how bad the refereeing is will get your ass fined, you might as well skip the subtleties and just come out and say it, right? Uh, No sense of beating around the bush. Might as well just say that the game was stolen from you, which is exactly what Donovan Mitchell said in his presser after the loss to the Sixers in overtime. Let's hear what Donovan had to say. It's screwed in a way by this you know like we we won this game
1: in my personal opinion you know but like I said I'm gonna give them credit they won whatever cool but like this is
0: it's gonna it's a consistent thing and you know the question is can we can we do it can we sustain it are we for real number one like yeah the hell we are and it's getting it's getting ridiculous KK that this is this is what's happening you know what I mean we have a whole second half of the season to go and get ready for but like I'm sick of it to be honest with you, we all are you know and I think this is something that just it bites it, it eats me it eats at me man and it's I don't, I don't y'all know what it is we all know what it is but it's it's really getting out of hand it's really 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 getting out of hand and the league needs to do something about this because i want to see the last two minute report what is he referring to i would say atrocious terrible disgustingly bad calls marty you did the little crying face <laughs> while you were listening to Donovan, you think he's being a bitch?:
1: No, 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 don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> uh, I just I, I have a history with Donovan Mitchell, so like I'll always kind of do that uh, with him, but uh, there were some really was, bad there were some egregious. really bad calls in that it game. Yeah, egregious. no, I don't blame him at all for saying that.
0: The first bad call was when Royce O'Neill went after a loose ball. This is in the fourth quarter. Less than a minute left in the game. He seems to pass the ball to Donovan Mitchell before his foot touches out of bounds. He does. In review, he had not touched with his foot the ground. But apparently, like some childhood fort game at a castle, if you make contact with the ref who is out of bounds, you are now out of bounds. So that was the first one. That is absolutely unconscionable. So then, obviously, Sixers get the ball back. At this point, Utah's up three. And Donovan would have either had a clear path foul or he would have made a a, a layup. Right? So they would have gone up five with a minute left. But instead, Embiid hits the three overtime. Right? Mm -hmm. Momentum all swinging in the Sixers' way. Then... In the last minute of OT, Spider drove down the lane, spun around Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons had his arm, and they called it a hooking foul on Donovan Mitchell, an offensive foul when it's really, yo, let me just get my arm from underneath yours because you're, hook- you're holding on, but no, foul on Donovan. Okay, then that phantom Call on Embiid. Embiid gets rim checked. Yeah, that one
1: was really bad. That
0: one was really bad. There was no foul, and then then they call a foul on who is it? Mike Conley? I think they called the foul on Mike Conley, and then either Donovan Mitchell said something or made contact with the ball with his foot, and Embiid baited the ref into calling a a technical foul on Donovan. And now you get fucking free throws and the technical foul, and then. I don't know what happened for Donovan get the second technical. He gets gets ejected from the game. He kicks the water cooler. Into that guy. Into that guy. He's like, I'm sorry. (laughs) It went from the Jazz should have won that game easily to then they lose by nine in overtime. Yeah. And then after the game, Rudy Gobert says things as well. This is what he said. Our guys are not able to get calls everybody in the fucking league gets. We all know that we're the Utah Jazz. (laughs) We all know that we're the Utah Jazz. And maybe some people don't want to see us go as far as we can go. But it's disappointing. Three times in a row, Mike Conley is going to the rim and they're grabbing him right in front of the officials and there's no calls. And on the other end, there are calls that are invisible, phantom calls that are being made. What, Marty, did I say about small market teams? This is a perfect example. We don't... Sorry. We don't want to see you win. We don't want nice things for you. The NBA wants the Lakers. They want the Clippers. They want the Phoenix Suns with Pretty Boy Booker.
1: Okay, yeah. Phoenix Maybe. Suns, known benefitter. Known benefiter. Benefiter. <laughs>
0: No, but they do want the Lakers and the Clippers in this, right? They do not want the Mormon Utah Jazz, no coffee drinking, ski slope riding, homogenous city and arena they I mean I don't want to say it but that is exactly what Rudy Gobert is trying to say is they don't want to see us win and these are facts I do not like to be a conspiracy theorist but that's the deal that's the deal Gobert confirmed that the league was out to get them because they're a small market franchise he says I don't want to say that, but I really believe it. After playing in this league for eight years, it's a little harder to be in a small market. That's one of the things that we've got to overcome. That's why I told the guys, when you're a small market, you've got to be better than just be better. You've got to be elite, and you've got to be in control and what you can control. And they are there are facts for this conspiracy theory. And Brad Botkin for CBS last uh, two nights ago wrote, if Mitchell does have a legit gripe with the officials. Perhaps it stems from him or his teammates not getting calls in big moments. The Jazz take under two clutch free throws per game within five points with under five minutes to play, ranking dead last. And Mitchell has only taken nine clutch free throws all season, which ranks 40th in the league, and no Utah player is in the top 50. The Sixers shot outshot Utah 35 to 19 from the line, which you would say, "Oh, well maybe maybe that's just how it goes." No, because Utah normally is one of the best defensive teams in the league and their opponents only get to the line the sixth fewest times out of any NBA team. So for the Philadelphia 76ers to outpace utah 35 to 19 when normally they only get 19 their opponents only get 19 free throws a game double their average (laughs) what is going on i mean come on now come on now (laughs) this is like just you know statistics right marty they have the little bell curve Mm -hmm. and and then it's like Outside one standard deviation is like this percentage probability and outside of this. This is two standard deviations outside of normal. Right. This is an impossible situation unless there's something nefarious at play. And I personally believe that there is something nefarious at play in Philadelphia. I mean, it's very clear MB did everything that he could to win his team the game using his semantics and his – histrionics and all kinds of dramatics that he likes to put uh on the game in order to win and that's fine he said uh he said something on twitter and beads basically admitted it spider clapped back because mb was like yeah going into the second half feeling good yeah. and donovan writes back you a fool bruh <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Embiid. Uh, responds back with ha 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 second time I got you teed up LMAO GG like yeah I did that I personally got you ejected
1: all-time meme I mean that one's never going away no ever
0: never going away I love Joel Embiid he's one of the funniest players uh maybe in the NBA most entertaining, obviously very skilled. But if you are playing against Joel MB, there may be no more annoying person <laughs> to go up against because he is so aggressively in your face about like just basically cheating his way into a win. And we'll say it after the fact like, yeah. I cheated.
1: Well, he did have that famous flop in, like, the backcourt. Uh, I, th- I think it was on Mitchell, actually. I, that think I think that's about true. It. That's what he's like, so second, what he means, time. second time. That's funny. Second time.
0: <laughs> I think if the only good news is the Jazz are to a point after all of this. At the halfway mark, you know you're not going to get calls. It's just time to take the buzzsaw, keep the foot on the opponent's neck at all times because if it comes down to the refs, you're going to lose, which – is going to be pretty important to know come playoff time. And they're just not going to get those, those whistles that a team like the Clippers or the Lakers will get. There are two types of great coaches in the NBA. You can either be one of those Brad Stevens, X's and O's, got-my-clipboard kind of nerds that can draw up the coolest little out-of-bounds play with 5.2 seconds left and, like, out-scheme. Out-scheme, out-smart, right? Or you can be like Doc Rivers. And I'm not, no shade to Doc Rivers as an X's and O's guy, but he's known as an ego manager. So X's and O's, ego managers, the real great ones do both, right? Right. What you can't be is bad at both of those things. You (laughs) cannot be a head coach (laughs) in the NBA and do both of those things quite terribly. That'll get your ass fired. That'll do that. Lloyd Pierce, ah, Lloyd Pierce, he was really bad, it appears, at both of those things. And predictably, uh, Monday morning after the pod dropped, swish, the guillotine came down for (laughs) Lloyd Pierce's neck, RIP to Lloyd Pierce. (laughs) They even, (laughs) it's fucked up. They even let him run Monday practice. They let him run practice come back to the hotel, and we're like, hey, great practice. You're fucking out of here. You're done.
1: Getting fired on the road is tough.
0: Tough. Why, though? Why do they have to do it this way?
1: <laughs> right. We're about to have an All-Star break.
0: <laughs> like, couldn't you have just done it at the All-Star break? <laughs> it's just crazy. He knew. He knew because even last week he said to the Athletic, Travis, the Hawks GM, is going to fire me one day.
1: <laughs> Ooh, and
0: when he does i'm not even gonna be mad that guy's damn near my best friend that is basically wow. a man who knows yeah, he said that <laughs> he said that yes that's not that was me. printed that was printed
1: okay in the athletic <laughs> i'm
0: not even going to be mad <laughs> that's how you know you're dead man walking that's that that's how you know <laughs> I don't I don't care how much hot water I am in, I will never admit there's a possibility of me being let go until I'm already let go. Like, Scott Brooks is doing it the perfect way, where Scott's like, I believe we're going to be at a point where we get a deal done, like, I think it's going to happen. Like, he's out here basically prognosticating an extension when the, uh, he's the odds-on favorite to be the next coach fired. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's how you stay in the league, because then people are like, wait. Hold on, you flip the narrative on its head. By all accounts, Lloyd Pierce was a valuable asset to the NBA in certain ways. He helped get the arenas to be voting centers with LeBron. He was thoughtful. He, Other coaches love him. Rick Carlisle, even like, I don't know if you saw it, but like after Lloyd Pierce was fired, Rick Carlisle issued a statement that was like, this is crazy
1: oh no I didn't yeah he was
0: like this he literally said this is crazy but the the problem is that only coaches seem to be the ones that like Lloyd Pierce like his own (laughs) his own team his own team there's multiple articles written about his entire team not liking him we know that the Hawks are have been in a bad situation they've had a tough year with injuries fluid schedules no crowds back to backs, and so yeah you're Lloyd Pierce, and you are, have been given like a rock and a carrot, and they're like, "Go make chicken noodle soup, go make <laughs> something out of this Michelin star." And so he's had a bad, he's had a bad go of it in terms of injuries. He's, I think they've had the most, second most injuries in the NBA. A hundred and forty-three man games lost. Okay, that's obviously tough, but at this point you kind of have to be nice to your players if you know you're not going to get them to win because everybody's basically sitting on the bench and they're injured. Yeah. According <laughs> to a deep dive in The Athletic, he's has seemed to piss off every Hawks player individually and the team as a whole. Bro. They said, sometimes we come up to him and we ask him like, hey, can you change this, that, or that? And he's like, no. <laughs> no. He's publicly sewering multiple members of his team, Trey Young, John Collins, Cam Reddish, in the media, just shit-talking them and then expecting them to go out and perform for him. Every single player that he has coached said that they don't feel heard when they go and talk to him in his office. That's not good. Hey, uh hey, uh, we're, we're hoping to maybe play like a little bit more of a free-flowing fourth-quarter offense. Like, things are kind of stagnant for us. We've given up 11, 12 fourth-quarter leads. Like, what do you think? And he's like, nah, I think things are good just the way that they are. It is insane. <laughs> so he said these things about his players. He said John Collins was selfish. He said Cam Reddish was overrated, and not performing up to his expectations, and that Trey Young, he doesn't like the way that Trey Young draws fouls. He doesn't like where Trey Young pulls up from. And then when they approached him about it, he was like, No, that's not exactly what I meant. That's not what I said really. I didn't say you were selfish, John. I said you you really want plays called for you, but I don't think you're good enough for us to call plays specifically for you. Cam, I know you said you think I said that you were overrated, but really, I'm just saying that I thought you would be a lot better than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Trey, I know you think that I'm saying that you're a chucker, but really, I just think you need to take better shots. I mean, that's all, I mean, it's exactly the same thing with just like nicer language around it. You can't be this way. You cannot be this way. I knew when I looked at this stat, this it's bad this is bad so i think that there was only two games that the atlanta hawks won in 11 right they were two in 11 okay and those two games were when lloyd pierce left the team because his wife had a baby <laughs> so when you okay. <laughs> when the only two games in a an 11 12 game stretch that you win or when your head coach is nowhere near the team I think it's time for him to be nowhere near the team. Yeah.
1: I mean, they were sure as shit talking about that.
0: They were, Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. So Cam Reddish has missed eight games due to injury. Gallinari, 10 games. Rondo, 16 games. Bogdanovich, 25 games. Chris Dunn, the entire season on Yucca, their rookie number six pick overall. Missed 20 games. Even Trey Young has missed a couple of games. DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter missed multiple games. Like I said, 143 man games lost, second in the NBA. So did he get a bad break? Did he have basically nothing to work with? Yes. That is true. Was he a bad coach and a bad ego manager? Did his entire team not like being coached by him? Also yes. Somebody asked, uh, they did like a random anonymous poll, which coach in the league would you not like to be coached by? And there were Atlanta Hawks players who said, can I choose the coach that's coaching me? (laughs) I didn't make this up. This is not a joke. This is real. So those two things are not mutually exclusive, are they? You can have a shit situation and also be bad at your job and at that point, you can't go out in the beginning of the year and say, we're going to make the playoffs. That's what he did, folks. Set expectations in an outrageous manner for the owner to then say, what's up? What's up? You guys have lost 13 out of 15. You told me. You told me you were going to make the playoffs. You got to go. And now we've got Nate McMillan's ass. Nate McMillan walked the ball up to half court. That's what we have for the rest of the year with this quote-unquote high-flying offense. (laughs) The good news is Nate McMillan, his entire career, has said, listen, I want to run a fast-paced offense. It's not me. It's really the players that I have. I know that I had Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge, but it was just them. I wanted to push the pace. (laughs) I know that I was one of the slowest offenses in Indiana as a head coach, but it was them – I know I had Victor Oladipo. (laughs) (laughs) It was them. I don't know. I like Lloyd Pierce. Maybe he was the wrong guy to coach young players. I mean, maybe he's the kind of guy that could be like a skills development assistant to hold players accountable. Like, I don't know, Ben Simmons. Maybe he would fit to be Ben Simmons' shooting accountability partner because Lloyd Pierce doesn't appear to have much carrot in him. It's just all shit-talking. It's all stick, stick, stick. Let's just say this. I've got lots to say about Nate McMillan as a new head coach, so much that that's going to be a segment on Monday. So I've got to dig deep onto whether he's actually going to make it long-term and also what some other coaching candidates will look like. But the good news is that the Hawks, at the halfway point, because the East is sort of big trash, they're only three and a half games out of the four seed. And with all without all that drama in the locker room and fourth quarter collapses, this team could have actually been right there. If they would have won six out of those 12, they'd be three in the East right now. Isn't that crazy?
1: That is. Yeah, I mean, the East is so jammed up
0: right now. It's so weird. Like, they legitimately just blew Multiple fourth quarter leads like they're up double digits and they just it just dissolves out of nowhere. And I think Lloyd Pierce was a big reason for that. So hopefully they're able to salvage the season. I was very excited about them in like week one or two because they were I mean, they're fast paced, they're fun. Yeah, they were four and one, hot, 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 sexy, scoring like 130 points per game, and then they just fell off a cliff. So Hopefully they can fulfill Lloyd Pierce's proclamation before the season was started, and hopefully this is a playoff team. That would be very, very fun. Pelicans might be one of the most exciting teams to watch right now. And I think they before the start of the month, they were in the middle of the offensive ratings, and since then, they are the number one offense in basketball. What Stan Van Gundy did with Zion is actually pretty incredible, and what that did for the offense is also sort of interesting. He turned... Zion, a power forward into a point forward. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is because you would think like Zion's pretty big, pretty clunky, like not very smooth player, but he can handle the rock. Oh, yeah. He has good court vision, good awareness, can pass the ball. So quick crossover, change directions super fast. So when Zion's up there by the free throw line, he can see everything and get downhill really fast. And what that has done is then opened up the offense for Lonzo Ball, where he doesn't need to facilitate. He doesn't need to play, Mike, so he's playing better. Brandon Ingram is also getting downhill. And there's more space on the floor. And even though all of them, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Ingram, Zion, Lonzo, Josh Hart, all of them are tacking the rim. They are one of the the least three-point shooting teams right now in a league where three-point shooting is king and they're the number one offense in basketball, that is that is sort of stunning. Uh, and I think that is a part of what Stan Van Gundy was trying to do. And you talk about the defense. The reason for that defense falling off of a cliff drew Holiday.
1: Oh, yeah. He, I mean, that's, yeah, unfathomable it's, loss.
0: It's It's crazy. So the Athletic did an article about this changing offense, and – Essentially, the Pelicans now are running something that's old school, but still operating in a league where everybody else is shooting threes. So even though this offense is scoring just as much, if not a little bit more than they did last year, the way that they're doing it is totally different. The Pels last year were number nine in the NBA in three-point shot frequency and five in three-pointers made per game, mostly because of Drew Holiday and mostly because of the Alvin Gentry system, right? Right. This year, in a more traditional offense that favors penetration over threes, they're number 24 in the NBA in three-point frequency and number 23 in threes made. And yet, they're scoring more points now than they did last year. (laughs) 115.9 versus 115.8. They were number four in the league in overall scoring then, and they're number five now with a totally different retooled offensive scheme. And largely similar, I mean, pretty much similar roster outside of losing Drew Holiday and getting uh, Eric Bledsoe. So what that shows me is that there's more than one way, as they say, to skin a cat. And maybe, just maybe, we don't have to see all perimeter play all the time. Mm -hmm. Because they played the Jazz last Monday, and guess what? Jazz made... Jazz is like number 1 three-point shooting team. They yeah. made yeah. 17 threes. Pelicans made 7. Pelicans won 127-124. The Pelicans became the first team to score 70 points in the paint against the Jazz in a quarter of a century. Oof. That is insane. To be able to beat the Jazz in that manner when they are shooting lights out from everywhere and you're playing bully ball against a defensive player of the year candidate in Rudy Gobert, like what does that tell you?
1: Yeah, and they were up that entire game. The Jazz made a run at the very end. They did. yeah.
0: Yeah, so Stan Van Gundy, even though he's old school, I don't really like him, it's working. His philosophy is working. Limit turnovers, forget offensive rebounding, push the pace, The big man's the key to the offense. You move the ball quickly, and above all else, get to the fucking rack. Get to the rack. And with Zion, like, it makes sense. He can get downhill at any time. You give him any little bit of momentum, which is why it makes sense that he's away from the basket, right? You can't get a ton of momentum three feet from there. You have to be up by the free throw line in order to to get downhill, right? Yeah. So he changed the offense in New Orleans, and – It is working. The problem is the defense, like you said, is not working. They're fun. They're young. They're winning. But they also lose a lot of games because they give up a shitload of points. They actually give up more points than they score. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a problem, I would say. And I would say that the reason why, if you look at it, is because Stan Van Gundy does not prioritize offensive rebounds. He basically says, when you shoot, just run back. Just run back. No, no, get another possession for yourself. No, wind the clock down. Like, it's almost like he's like, yeah, we're not going to run the ball in football. Like, you know how teams are like, we're going to eliminate your offense by just controlling time of possession? Stan Van Gundy doesn't care about that. He's just like, get up and down. He's like this weird hybrid of, of uh, Mike Dantoni and old school basketball. I don't understand that philosophy whatsoever. Because you could argue, right, that offensive rebounds are a form of defense. Right? Yeah. You're preventing a team from getting back and getting out in transition. In the last 20 games, the Pelicans have simultaneously produced the league's best offense and the worst defense. That is not a recipe for long-term success. No. And the West is tight. The team is still under five they They're playing better, but... After the All-Star break, have you taken a look at the schedule?
1: No. no, It's
0: daunting. They probably will be like an 11 seed. It's not going to get much easier. Wednesday night was a perfect example of the Pels problem in a nutshell. They came off that great Jazz win, and then they just get smoked by the Bulls. Brandon Ingram admitted that they just do this repeatedly. We play great against good teams, and we play like shit against bad ones. That's a problem. They enter a stretch of games that they should probably beat opponent, opponents and they probably won't. So my fear that this is going to be the best team in basketball that does not make the playoffs. And if they were in the East, as we have said, even a team like the Atlanta Hawks can be a three seed, four seed, five seed. So tough stretch. For the Pelicans to make a run, they're going to have to replace the Warriors, Grizzlies, and Ma- Mavericks. Do you think that's going to happen, Marty?
1: Uh, I wouldn't bet on it. Wouldn't bet <laughs> on it.
0: The best thing that the Pelicans have going for them is that everyone down to the 11 seed has a chance to get in. So the Pelicans, even as an 11, can still sneak into the 8, which you could say the pandemic. Woo! James Harden came back to Houston. And as we probably predicted, it was a blowout. Comfortable, nearly 20-point win. Not a lot to talk about in that game, except for my six-unit win. That was like the lock of the night. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah! I was on it,
1: but Nets.
0: Nets minus ten and a half just hammered. Uh, But the thing that I want to talk about was all of the chatter prior to the game, fanfare from James to Kyrie to, like you said, Marty, the fucking owner of the Houston Rockets himself had some things to say as well. Let's play what Kyrie said. Play. Everybody at home enjoy the game. There will be no tension and no shit talking going on on the court or about James and my presence or anybody else's presence. So we're coming to Houston to enjoy the game of basketball and play it at a high level on behalf of James and the rest of the guys because we know it's a it's a special night regardless, you know. Everybody at home, there will be no tension, no shit talking not in my (laughs) presence or anyone else's presence about James. (laughs) That was some bodyguard shit right there. Mm -hmm. No one is going to be talking shit about James. He also said earlier, we've all been through this. We've seen it all. We've done it all. So I thought to myself, Kyrie and Kevin Durant are the perfect players to be James Harden's teammates when he's going back to the city that he created bad blood in. Kyrie created some bad blood in Cleveland, (laughs) Yeah, created some bad blood uh, in Boston. And then Kevin Durant, bad blood in OKC, and I'd say somewhat bad blood in Oakland. Fans were disappointed. They know what it's like to come back to an arena and it to be filled with booze. Oh, yeah. And James Harden, for sure, got some booze. But then Tillman Fertitta was like, hey— There's not going to be any tension here. In fact, we love James Harden so much, we are at some undefined point in the future, not sure when, going to be retiring James Harden's number, number 13. No idea when that's coming, but that's coming down the pike. James Harden will always be a rocket in our estimation. Thank you so much, James, for your service. We love you. Let's just sweep everything under the rug in terms of how you left. And then James Harden is like, "Yup, I love Houston. Houston is my home. It's always going to be my home. I want to change thousands of lives because the city of Houston has done so much more for me than you could even know. It, to me, felt like before the game, holy shit, things must be tense (laughs) because everybody is talking about let's just cool the temperature down. And James Harden says that Houston is his home. And I don't know if you know this, Marty, But James Harden even opened up a restaurant recently in Houston called 13 after his jersey number.
1: I did not know this.
0: James Harden, in the middle of a pandemic, has opened up a 250-person restaurant. Head chef, former NFL running back, cannot make this shit up. You cannot make this shit up. The food selection, high-end, strip club chic. Fried lobster tail on top of mac and cheese. $125, 32-ounce dry rub tomahawk steak with pineapple butter on top. Okay. I mean, no shit. Like, if James, if this is James Harden's kind of food, no wonder he's putting on 20 yeah. in the offseason. If he's not running and playing 82 games in a season... I mean, he's just getting fat. That's yeah. just what he's doing.
1: Just eating his dick off. But yeah.
0: uh, Just eating his dick off. Exactly. Are you excited about that menu? Is that the kind of menu you would be into?
1: Um, the lobster mac, uh, maybe, but uh, I don't know about the
0: uh, tomahawk steak. Got to be a champagne room in the back, no? Oh, yeah. Back to the story, though. I just thought that, that was an interesting little tidbit I was, I was doing some research. So the Nets wiped the floor with Houston. And as I was—I'm getting to a point. As I was watching this game, I thought to myself, like you said, there's not much to be encouraged about. Mm -hmm. This team is big trash without Christian Wood. They are awful. Like, just losing to everyone. The easiest bet in sports right now is betting against the Houston Rockets. Just responsibly put a lot of money on that. They are so trash that after losing – their their coach is so trash. He is so defeated, even when he's trying to rile them up, it's still tepid. Just answering questions like, "Why do you guys suck? Why can you guys not compete? Why do you guys not try?" Play the clip. Getting getting behind on defense and everything. How do you how do you correct that in such a short amount of time? Yeah, it's all it's all of us looking in the mirror and
1: deciding that. We're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to allow
0: this anymore. We're not going to succumb to the pressure, to the adversity, to the disappointment that uh, has been building for a long time. Oh, my God. This guy. (laughs) This guy, even after a 12-game, I think at this point it's 11 games, even after an 11-game losing streak where you're just getting your teeth kicked in on a night-to-night basis, he's like, it's just a matter of deciding that you don't want to take it anymore. He's like, we're not going to take it. No. But even with, like, less energy than that. I don't. I am not inspired by Steven Silas in the least. Yeah.
1: He had some serious Earl Watson vibes. He has
0: big Earl. You know all about Earl Watson. Oh, When
1: we were tanking, it's a very similar feeling to that where there's just nothing positive happening and the coach just has to go and, yeah.
0: He has to stand out there like a wet rag and just explain himself in the most, I don't know what's going on. What (laughs) else do you want from me? These guys can't play basketball. And I have to say, looking back on it, James Harden was 100% right. To get the fuck out of there. This team is bad. He might have been he might have been too patient.
1: It's <laughs> possible, yeah.
0: Eight games might have been too long. <laughs> Man, when James Harden said this roster wasn't close, boy. He said we don't have enough pieces to compete for a championship, and everybody was like, oh, how could you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. Look at them. Look at them. They are not close to a championship. They are not close to a playoff spot, folks. This is a lottery team. My God, was he not kidding. Let's look at some numbers. Since Christian Wood went down in February, the Rockets have lost 12 straight games by an average of 20 points. Including five 20 point losses. They lost to Memphis by 49. Memphis. They lost. You just lost to the Memphis Grizzlies by 50. This team is legit awful. Nothing to be excited about. Nothing to take pleasure in. The only thing that I could have possibly been excited about this matchup as if DeMarcus Cousins was still on the team because you know (laughs) something exciting would have happened. I tuned in thinking that maybe there'd be something, and it was just a dog walk. Just a dog walk. No wonder James Harden put on that fat suit, broke quarantine, missed training camp, to send the message, folks, this is red alert. Red alert. Red, I do not want to be here. And then had to say it out loud. Listen, I've sent you every signal that you could possibly have without saying it to your face. I don't want to fucking be here anymore. Get me out. Get out. Jesus Christ. If he wouldn't have had that explosive presser, he could still be there right now, Marty.
1: That is funny to think about. That is very Can funny. Can you to
0: imagine think about. how miserable James Harden would have been right this second? <laughs> knowing what he could be capable of, putting up MVP numbers, averaging more, more assists than he has in his career average, just setting up his teammates, looking like the most gentle, generous point guard we've ever seen in history. (laughs) And no, he could have been sitting in Houston eating fried lobster with pineapple butter and fucking mac and cheese, just getting fatter and fatter and fatter, like Mike Myers and Austin Powers, just getting gross. (laughs) Yeah, he's turning into a fat bastard out there. That would have been James Harden if we wouldn't have let him escape to Brooklyn. Thank God Harden dogged them. Thank God he made it messy. Thank God he did everything that he could do to save himself so that he could go and win. So we have some questions. Only a couple because I think we're running a little bit behind.
1: Okay, uh, first up we have, uh, what team should I invest my fandom into? Grew up on the Bulls in the 90s and uh, faded on them as a favorite since.
0: You know, I like this question a lot. It depends on, I would say, what kind of person you are. I think being a fan, it's sort of perfect. Uh, Your fan base, my fan base, based on, I think, who we are. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you are a glitz and glam person, if you are someone who likes to stun on them a little bit, walk into a room with your team colors and everybody knows you got banners, <laughs> You, it's purple and gold, baby. Of course. It's the L.A. Lakers. Lakers have got to be it. And you know that once COVID is over and you got a little vaccine Johnson & Johnson in your blood <laughs> – Staples Center is the place to be, baby. Sitting courtside if you can afford the tickets. Everything's all, like, you know, That's crazy the way that Staples is. It's like the, the court is lit up, but everything else is dark. Yeah. And you go into the, like, little candy room, and there's, like, everything imaginable inside of there. And they've got their lobster and truffle butter and steak and.
1: Wait, what's the candy room?
0: There's like a ca- full candy room in the back when you go in if you sit in the, like the VIP area it's crazy uh-huh. it's crazy. there's like the whole back wall inside this back room under the tunnel, like where they have the VIPs get food is like a candy factory. It's like <laughs> sour patch, uh, like licorice ropes. there's every lemon heads. Everything you can imagine in, like, little jars with little scoopers. And you have cups. They have these huge, like, soda cups. And you just fill the cups fill with candy. It's my favorite thing about being at Staples Center. It happens with the Clipper game and the Laker game. It is fucking lit.
1: Sounds phenomenal.
0: Lit. So the Lakers have got to be that. No sexier team in basketball. They've got LeBron James. Anthony Davis. The kind of person that adopts the L.A. Lakers is probably already a Yankee fan anyway. So if you don't, and you already like the Bulls, so you already like excellence, that's a good team for you. This kind of fan is just here for the candy room and the (laughs) postseason games, parades, and good vibes. If you're a basketball purist, I would say, you know, if you like the X's and O's, If maybe basketball is new to you, you just want to, like, I don't know, just get back to the way that things used to be. San Antonio
1: Spurs.
0: (laughs) Longstanding coach in the league. main star for two decades was nicknamed the Big Fundamental. Their jersey colors aren't aren't even colors. They're just shades. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Black and silver. If you don't like a lot, if you like a lot of pick and rolls, just monochrome, generic shit, I would say you could be a San Antonio Spurs fan. You're a simple man. You just want to enjoy good old-fashioned fundamental basketball. That's it. If you have a penchant for disappointment, you got to be a Milwaukee Bucks fan. No team has been so hyped up for the last three years and is constantly disappointed as much as the Bucks. Number one seed and bounced out of the first round. You have an athlete that signed the Supermax and is probably going to request a trade in 24 months. There are sadomasochists out there, Marty. They do exist. (laughs) And if you're listening, 90s Bucks fan, or 90s Bulls fan, I would say being the Bucks fan is for you. Rinse, repeat, suffer.
1: (laughs) Okay, uh, next up we have, uh, do the Nuggets make a deep run this year?
0: Nuggets have one good game against a team that I just said is going to probably lose in the first round. Everybody is sucking. Let me stop. Everybody is hyping the Bucks up so fucking much that anytime anyone beats the Bucs, they're a contender. Let me just say this out loud very clearly. The Bucks are not a contender. They will not contend for a championship this year or next year or the year after that. As long as those boys are in Brooklyn – and the East has a few teams that I think match up better with them, they are not going to contend. If you beat the Bucks, that does not make you a contender because they are not a contender.
1: I'd agree with that, yeah.
0: Okay. The Nuggets are up and down. They beat the Bucks. They beat the Lakers. They beat the Suns. They beat the Blazers.
1: One of one of those Suns victories. Uh, the two-minute report showed they shouldn't have. Just correct. Just, just want to mention.
0: Correct. They did win that game. <laughs> they did. They've beaten great teams, and they've also lost. Kind of like the Pelicans, lost to some shitty ones as well. Yeah. Uh huh. They lost to the Kings. They've lost to the Hawks. They've lost to the Wizards. I mean, they may be eight and four with their last twelve with wins against the Lakers, Bucks, and Blazers, but I am not sold. They are 7th in the West, and Jokic has been phenomenal. But my point is, if in the last 10 games, Jokic is averaging 30, and Jamal Murray is averaging 30, and you have gone only 6-4 and during that time period, you have a massive problem on your hands. You can't have two people on your team average 30 and then say, well, in order for us to win, we need some big-time minutes from P.J. Dozier. (laughs) no the nuggets will not make a deep run they will not make a deep run i tell you what the nuggets can play some defense and they can hold teams to the bucks to like in the mid-90s in terms of points but against offenses even though atlanta we know is big trash and washington is who knows they can score and good backcourts are going to give them trouble and the problem with the West is that there's a lot of good backcourts that are going to give them a lot of trouble. I do not see the Nuggets going anywhere close to where they went last year. I do not see the Nuggets as a real team. And that's it. I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. That's the whole, like, uh, prisoner of the moment uh, recency bias. Like, they beat one good team that everybody falsely believes is a contender, and then it's like, oh, my God, can the Nuggets make a deep run? No. What do you think? You agree? Uh
1: yeah, I mean they may win a series. That's that's the cap though. There's no way they're going back to the West Finals. This is
0: what I think will happen. They will be the eight seed. They will have to play a play in game oh, against oh. <laughs> nine. And they will lose that playoff play in game.
1: Oh yeah, get yeah. So I, could I don't even see think
0: that. they don't I don't even think they go to the first round. That is what I think. That's how low I am on the Nuggets. <laughs> and I love Jamal Murray and I love Jokic. That's all the time that we have for this league. Please subscribe, please rate, please review Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I can't say it enough. It makes a massive difference. Unsubscribing and resubscribing on Apple is like 60% of our rankings. We also have this league hoodies on sale in the Barstool store. Um, They are white, they are black, they are multicolored. Marty wears his around the office all the time, I think. (laughs) Thanks for listening.